we step out of the will of God or we decide to go our way, we enter into the spiritual realm of going round in circles. And we're going to see this with, with Abram this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, frog in my throat this morning. <clears throat> we're going to see this with Abram, that, that he stepped out of the will of God and he went round in that circle again that God has taken us out of. So we're going to be looking at that um, this morning. Maybe we could do a drink. Is there a drink of this? Just good stuff, good fresh water. <clears throat> Sorry about that this morning. So we're going to read in Genesis chapter 12, verses 8 down to 20 this morning. <clears throat> just before we read verse 10, you remember that, that at this point Abraham had just left the, the crossroads with Bethel on his one side and Ai and the other side and God had called him south. So that's where we're picking up the story. He's went where... God has asked him to go, and when he arrives there, there's a famine in the land. So now there was a famine in the land, and, <coughs> excuse me, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was so severe. <coughs> and he was about to enter Egypt, and as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Therefore say that you are my sister, so, that it will be, so I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was, very beautiful, was a very beautiful woman. When Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. And he treated Abraham well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife Sarah. And so Pharaoh summoned Abraham and he said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say that she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything that he had. So Father, we thank you to be found in the house of God this morning. Father, I pray you would speak to each of us individually this morning. And Lord, you know where we stand today, where our heart is with you. And Father, it's your desire to, to call us on to that place of promise. Lord, not the place of comfort, as we might hope for, but Lord, that place of promise, that place where you will take our lives and use them for your glory. The place where you will cause us to shine will most likely be in a place of great darkness. So, Father, I pray this morning for an infilling of that Holy Ghost Spirit upon each of us this morning. And, Lord, we pray that this would not just be a time of reading and talking, but, Lord, a time of spirit-filled ministry. And, Lord, that you would move throughout the pews and in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen <coughs> and amen. These glasses here, I'm just going to take, a, take your pick. That was the wrong one. <coughs> that was the wrong one. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Abraham is in Canaan. Remember that at the very outset of our talk this morning. Abraham is in the place where God wants him to be. Make no mistake about it. Where Abraham now stands is where God has asked him to be. Don't forget that or we'll get caught up in the wrong story. Where he is is where God wants him to be. The chances are this morning, you mightn't think where you, where you are is where God wants you to be. But the chances are it is. The chances are where God has placed you this morning is because other doors maybe have shut 
or this is just where you are meant to be. We have to take God at his word and trust that if he's going to guide us, that here we stand because of him. So Abram's in the place of promise. Now one might be forgiven for expecting great things to be in place for Abraham's arrival. We often expect things to be different in the place of promise, don't we? We, we, we have this idea, or at least I do, of when I reach that place of promise, that, that life is going to be so much richer, and so much, it's going to be so much blessing upon my life that the rest of you will be jealous. That, that sometimes can be our mindset of being in the place where God wants us to be. We often expect everything to be rosy, all the people to be lovely, all singing, as it said, from the same hymn sheet. And of course, with all the same desires and expectations that, that we have, that's what we would like life to be like. But when we walk with God for a while, we soon realize that things aren't as straightforward as we might have hoped or thought. And how we perceive things in our head and how things really are are often very different. Would you, would you, have you ever noticed that? What we sometimes expect and think, they just never seem to be that way. But it's God's way nonetheless. And when Abraham entered Canaan, you know something? He wasn't met with revival. Is it possible that when Abraham went to the place of promise that he thought when he arrives there that God is going to already have moved in a mighty way and revival would maybe be waiting? He wasn't met with revival. The people were not that lovely. In fact, we're told that the Canaanite people were wicked to the core. That was his audience. That was the people that God had put in his path. They didn't sing from the same hymn book, let alone the same hymn sheet. Their hymn book lifted up man and, and glorified sin. But Abraham's hymn book lifted up God and glorified him. A totally different book, not even the same hymn sheets. Praise God. Because that's what he does. He, he gives us a new song. <clears throat> but this was a time of testing for Abraham. It was a time of growth. And rest assured, when God puts us in a hard place, or a dry place, or in an awkward place, it's there that he wants you to grow, and we will grow. Whether we like it or not, we will grow in them surroundings. But it was here in this place of promise that, that Abraham would face one of many crossroads in his life. Abraham would feel the pull of the world, as you and I do. He would feel the pull from the house of God, as we do. And we looked at that, we spoke about balance. But we too have this war between the flesh and the spirit going, with all, going on within our own hearts. And it's important to acknowledge that. It doesn't matter how involved we are. It doesn't matter how many years we've walked with God. There is a war going on within our hearts. And it's a war for, for, for the things of God and the things of the world. And it's there. But listen, Abraham was a mighty man of God, yeah? <clears throat> but Abraham was no stranger to sin. Before God called Abraham, he was a pagan worshipper. The scriptures tell us it. There's no doubt about it. He was a man who worshipped other gods. He was a man of sin. He had seen things that, that men shouldn't necessarily see. But it was here in the place of promise that his eyes would be opened to the full extent of, of man's depravity and his love and his love relationship with sin. God had to show him the sin. And you ever look around you sometimes and feel vaxxed in your spirit? But God takes his people and he lets them see what they're saved from. He lets them know that despite all of this depravity in the world, that, that Christ died that men and women could be redeemed and saved and brought back to God. And we have to show us these things, church. Hard to watch at times, but we have to acknowledge the depravity of man around us. But it was also here that, that Abraham learnt not only to become a man of faith, but a man of prayer. Isn't that something very different? In my first few years of being a Christian, 
I don't believe I needed much prayer. I was so on fire for the things of God. And yes, I was in the place of prayer and whatnot. But, but there was just this new life, a new birth. And glory to God, I, I, could, I could walk on water. But there was trouble times come, isn't there? And there's hard times come when you're, when you're, when you're in that place of promise. God brings you there. And, and it's there you learn to build altars. It's there you learn to become a man or a woman of prayer. At this point, Abraham, he makes his way south as the Lord leads him. And when he gets there, we're told that there's this famine in the land. <clears throat> and what this means is simply this, that there hadn't been enough rain for the crops to grow. The ground was dry. It was parched. The, the, the ground was so, it was more muck than it was grass. The grass had died. And listen, there was nowhere for the animals to graze. This was a real situation that Abraham faced. There was no sign of life anywhere. And death hung over the land. You understand that it, it wasn't just Tesco's had run out of bread type of famine. It was a severe famine in the land. Don't underestimate what a famine is like and how it can lead us to do things that we did not want to do. But death hung over the land. There was a famine. And listen, what Abraham experienced here in the physical, you and I will face in the spiritual. We will. If you haven't experienced that to date, it will come. What he faced then, we face in the spiritual realm. In our walk with God, there will be times when we will look around us and there will be times of famine in the land. We look around and, and we'll see that everything appears to either be dead or dying. And, and for some reason, that is what God leads us in and, and we see these things going on around us. It's what's called a spiritual famine. And when there's a spiritual famine, what we see is where, where joy and where praise once resided, a dryness can be seen. Because that's what a famine in the land looks like. When there's no rain, there's a dryness coming and becomes parched. And all around us at times can be barren and can be hard and can be dry. And, and, and it's at them times, it's when the pull to Egypt comes. Make no mistake about it. But nonetheless, these times come. We see this throughout scripture. We see this, that Abraham faced this type of thing. When there's a spiritual famine, we, we look around us and we see men and women who once burned for Christ all of a sudden become wax cold. And this can, can cause part of your own heart just to freeze. <clears throat> it's, it's quite daunting to watch. And no matter how often the word is preached, there, there doesn't seem to be any new life in the land. That's what happens when there's a, there's a spiritual famine, church. Do you know what the Bible says? When the word of God's preached, there should be what follows. There should be signs and wonders. And I'm going to put it to you that we could be possibly in the middle of a spiritual famine. We need to cry out unto God, church. Because the gospel transformed your own heart, didn't it? And it should still be changing. And there should be still signs and wonders happening where the word of God's faithfully preached. And the Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up. And, and church, we're going into them places where we're going to pray for the rain to fall. We don't want no spiritual famine. We're only here for a while. We want to see the fruit. We want to see the harvest. We want to see people won for the glory of God. And it starts here, church. It starts here. But we have to acknowledge these things. But listen, when there's a spiritual famine, and here's a test for you. There's no, the people have no appetite for the word of God. <clears throat> and ask yourself in your own heart this morning, how well watered is your own heart this morning? How's your appetite for the word of God? Do you, do you, are you eager to hear something this morning? Are you here eager this morning to encounter God and to hear something from his word? Or are you just here? You don't know really why you're here. Ask yourself these questions because they're so important. 
Because when there's a spiritual famine in the land, we see it in our world today, there's no appetite, no place for the word of God. And then things, what happens is this, people begin to hunger after the world. If we don't hunger after God, we'll hunger after the world. And we see this with Abraham. With a famine in the land, this pulled Egypt was there and he was drawn to Egypt. And in times of drought and in times of famine, we too will feel the pull of Egypt. You know, in times of plenty, when there's great things happening around us, Egypt have no voice. We can't hear it called, sure we don't. When we're in that place where God's moving, we've no desire to go back. But when there's a famine, when there's a famine in the land, Egypt, her voice gets a hearing. We hear the call of the world. We hear the call of her past. <clears throat> what I see here, church, is something so simple, yet so destructive. I want you to hear this. And it's the word disappointment. Disappointment can send people in every direction but the right direction. Every direction but the right direction. But when we walk with God and, and, and all of a sudden we're faced with disappointment, we look to God nearly with, with anger or frustration and disappointment. We say, right, Lord, I'm going to do it my way or I'm going to give you a wee handout. And, and that's what we, I see here, disappointment. How discouraging it must have been for these pilgrims for Abraham and all his people to, to arrive in this place of promise only to find that there was a famine in the land. You haven't much time to think about this, but I had. And these people are faithfully following God. They're forsaken everything. And here they are. And what do they find? Only a famine. How discouraging. How frustrating. It's like us putting on a big event and, 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 and spending lots of money and putting lots of time in it too and bringing a big evangelist over and, and really seeking God to do a great work in this town and, and, and nothing happens and nobody comes. It would be so discouraging, wouldn't it? How much more so here? And at this point of time, Abraham made a decision and possibly with the influence of Lot, and we look at him at a later date, and he headed to Egypt. He made his way to Egypt. Now, if you're here this morning, which some are that, that, that are that are new to the faith, Egypt is, a, when it's, the Bible speaks of Egypt, it speaks of the literal place, but there's a spiritual symbolism, and it speaks of our past, our old life. It speaks of our old life and bondage to sin, our old life of oppression and hardship, before Christ saved us. It speaks of the old past, the place of sin. And Abraham, <clears throat> Abraham took one look at the land, and he headed straight to Egypt. You might ask this morning, why was it wrong for, for Abraham to run to Egypt when, when that's where the crowd was going, that's where everybody was going because that's where the food was and that's where everything was. Why? You might ask. And, and I asked, would this be so wrong? Well, when I considered other scriptures, what I did see this, that it showed a lapse of faith in Abraham. It showed a turn away from God. <clears throat> and let me, if you're taking notes, write Isaiah 31 down. I'm going to read this to you. Scripture always interprets scripture. My brother man once told me that years ago and I've held it close to my heart. When you're unsure of what something is, turn to scripture. It always, it always tells you what this means. trying to say, listen, Isaiah 31, woe to those who rely on Egypt. <clears throat> woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitudes of their chariots, chariots and in their great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel. Or seek help from the Lord. You see? 
The Bible tells us that this was wrong, that, that Abraham acted out of the will of God. He was acting in the flesh. And the title this morning is Not Thy Will, But Mine, God. Actually, I never said that. It's not thy will, God, but mine. And we all have them moments where we say, God, I know you're wonderful, you're sovereign, you're all powerful, but I just don't think you can handle this one wee bit. So therefore, set aside a wee moment. And this is the things that happens. Destruction comes, church, when we take God's hands off the wheel and put our own on it. Because God had brought Abraham through this far, and I think he was able to bring him on the rest. And I think he's able to bring you and I on the rest as well. Abraham was looking to the land for provision, and how often we too, too, and not to God. Egypt instead of God. And how often we make the same mistake, discouragement and disappointment and frustration, and when things don't seem to pan out just as we planned. And that's when the old enemy whispers into our ear, where is your God? Where is your God? Look at verse 11. When I say people do strange things, we're about to see Abraham do strange things and look out. And as he was about to go into Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Therefore say that you are my sister, excuse me, so that I will be treated well for your sake. And my life will be spared because of you. It has been said that one sin leads to another. Excuse me, and one lie leads to many more to cover the first. We know that. We've all told we white lies. And if we're not careful, we'll have to tell another one to back up the one that we've just spoken. But Abraham's first bad decision was this. He first trusted in Egypt. Now he turns to lies to protect him, not God. He believed his wife to be very beautiful. And he got it into his head, you understand, into his head that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, would desire his wife so much so that he would kill Abram to have her. This was in his head. This is what he believed. God didn't tell him so. He believed this. It was in his mind. So Abraham told his wife to say it, that she was his sister. That he would not be killed. And church, we too need to be careful what we let into our heads. I believe that half the problems that we face in life are in our head. I believe half the problems that we deal with in church life is in our head. Half the reason we don't acknowledge each other the way we ought to is because in our head we have dreamt up something or we think something. And I'm going to speak again at this morning just like that. Because I don't know how your mind works, but I know my mind works overtime many times. I think I know so much more than I ever possibly could know. I think we're all a bit alike. Be careful what we let into our heads and our minds and the situations in which we dream up in our hearts. Also be careful of half-truths, half-truths and little white lies. And before we point the finger at anybody else, there's not one of us here that has never told a half-truth or a lie to cover up something. So it's something that we all need to be careful of, not judge others on, but judge our own hearts. Sarah was Abraham's half-sister, we know this. So he told Pharaoh a half-truth. He was also his wife. That, that done away with everything else. First and foremost, this was his wife. Bound together. Went from a man of faith to a man of the world like that. A man of truth to a man whose word was no longer worthy to be trusted. Abram had strayed from God and was making a mess of things. And maybe that's you this morning. That you too have strayed somewhat from God. And all of a sudden, everything in your life just seems to be falling to bits. Falling, to, falling apart. 
Because that's what happens when we go our own way and we say, not thy will, Lord, but mine. These things happen. Things start to go bad. Notice the words in, in verse 13, will you? Say you are my sister. Now notice this, it's so subtle. So that I will be treated well for your sake. I love that. I love that. How often are lies and, and our things are to protect others, right? Isn't it? It's for your sake. Everything we do that's not in the will of God, it's, there's always a reason, isn't there? We all can say, ah, I know I'm guilty, but look, it was for such and such a reason. Be careful, Neil, be careful yourself of the word for your sake and why we justify what we do. Abraham was justifying. I believe he was convicted by the spirit that he was doing wrong and he justified in his own mind and justified to his own wife. It's for your sake, love. It's for your sake. Be careful of them words. And how often our lives are to protect, or our, our lives are to protect others. When, when, when a Christian when a Christian backslides, or maybe it's too strong of a word, but when a Christian, I don't believe Abraham intentionally backslid. I don't think we intentionally backslide. So I don't really like that term, but when we go out of the will of God, when we start taking things into our own hand, as Abraham did here, other people get hurt. When you step out of the will of God and step fellowship with God, other people in your life get hurt. Abraham slipped into severe sin. We see that in verses 11 to 16. One commentator said this, that Abraham thought evil, he then suggested evil, it was the evil of lying. We don't want to say that Abraham acted selfishly. He was thinking only of himself. And he deceived his wife. Using the words, for thy sake. And it just shows you how a man or a woman who so sold out for God can so easily be, be brought back into their old ways and the old nature. Because that's how we used to live. Abraham showed a cowardly type of spirit here. And he refused to correct the wrong of land. And he had opportunity to do so in verse, verse 16, as you see, he was receiving all the good stuff from Pharaoh. And he received all that stuff knowing that he had lied and knowing that he was being blessed on a lie. And, and Pharaoh treated Abraham well for, for, for Sarah's sake. And where did Abraham go wrong, I suppose, is a question that we need to ask this morning. Because I believe if we can answer this one question, perhaps we can learn from his mistake and maybe save ourselves a lot of heartache. And it's plain to see, as I consider this, that it all went wrong in Canaan, in that place of promise. To be clear, Abraham should never have left that place of promise. There was a famine in the land, no doubt, but he shouldn't have left there. He shouldn't have turned to Egypt for help. He was met head on with a, with a famine in the land, and this was severe. But Abraham, at this point, decided to take over and help God out. And maybe you're facing something this morning, you're trying to help yourself with this, and you're, you've made decisions that you know mightn't just be good for you, but it's your way out. But I would caution you just to wait in the presence of God and seek God in the matter. Uh, you know, because what Abraham did here was wrong. At this point in Abraham's life, what I realized is that he abandoned his tent. He left his tent back where he was on his altar. He left it back there and he, and he went into Egypt and for help. And, and, and what I did notice on every occasion this far, Abraham had built an altar. You know that. He had built an altar on the Lord before he moved on. He had sought God. But there's no record of Abraham building an altar before going to Egypt. He just went. He, he hadn't sought the will of God. And you know, when a, when a Christian neglects fellowship with God and, and returns to the world, not only brings sorrow into their, their, their own life and your own life this morning, but it often brings it into the lives of those around them and, and loved ones and, and your family members. See, Abraham not only brought shame onto himself, 
but he caused, he caused distress and fear for his own wife. She had to live with his consequences. You see that? And perhaps this morning, and maybe yourself, or your husband, or your wife, you've stepped out of the will of God. You know who pays the price? It's the people in your home. It's the people around us who pay that price when we're out of the will of God. And she had to live with the consequences of his poor judgment and his pride to say sorry and to repent of it. Because of his his lies and deception and disobedience towards the Lord, we're told in verse 17, look at this now, that the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household. Do you see that? Abraham brought trouble to other people's lives and into their homes because of his rebellion against God. And and there's something in that church that, that if we're not in the right place with God, our family suffers, our home suffers, our church suffers, our children see it and they will suffer greatly because of it. And, and there's a lesson here that for each of us that to make sure that we're in the will of God because we're not the only people who get hurt but we're just assured we will get hurt. Make no mistake about it. And listen, if Satan can cause you or I to turn to the world, what he's achieved is got, he's got us to turn away from God. Remember that first and foremost. When, when Abraham was going to Egypt, his back was on Canaan. And that's the danger. He turned away from the things of God and the place of promise. And you know, when we do this and if we live like this, People in your life will get hurt. And your children will see. And your, the people in your workplace will see. And the land in which you live and work will suffer. You know, poor witness pushes men further from God, not closer. And we are called to be lights. Lights that, that lead people closer and on to the things of God. And there's nothing worse than a man or woman of God who's, who's turned their back on God. And brought chaos in his own life and those around him. It's so much hard, so hard to witness past that. So all people can see is this. But listen, not only does our friends and our family suffer and our children suffer, our homes suffer, but you yourself will suffer when we step out of the will of God. And we see this in verse 18. So, so, so here we see that, that Pharaoh summoned Abram. Abram was brought to account by the world. And, and Pharaoh confronts him regarding his conduct and his lies. And listen to the words that he said, why have you done this to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Basically, why did you lie? Why did you lie to me? Why did you say that she is my sister? So that I ended up taking her to be my wife. Now then, take your wife and go. Notice that. Take your wife and go. Notice that, that Pharaoh didn't kill Abraham. See that? As Abraham perceived in his mind at the outset that, that he's going to die and his wife's going to be taken from him. Be careful what we let into our minds, church. Abraham let a lie be whispered into his ear and he believed it. It took him out of the will of God and made him act very foolishly in the eyes of the world. And here he stands before the king of the world, the king of Egypt, the king of sin, if you like, and being rebuked by Pharaoh. And Abraham let his head run away with, his, with himself and he let fiction enter in instead of truth. And you know something, church? If we don't accept truth, what we do accept is a lie. We need to make the decision either we believe what the truth is when we're told it or we live under a lie. And that is a decision that each of us have to make. Sometimes the, the, the fiction is easier believed, isn't it? Sometimes it's easy to believe what isn't truth because we've already made our mind up and we'll have to change our thinking. And Abraham had a face that he had allowed fiction to enter into his mind. Pharaoh had no desire to kill him for his wife according to what I see in the scripture here. And if he had a desire, why didn't he just kill him? there and then at the end of the point. 
Abraham let his head run away with fiction and not truth. But you know what else? One commentator wrote this. He says, what a shame to see a man of faith stand before Pharaoh and be rebuked by an unbelieving king. And that's something. What a shame to see a man of God stand before the world shamed. What happens when we go out of the will of God? Pharaoh bestowed favours upon Abram and Abram accepted from the world. <laughs> See later on that he doesn't, but he did at this point. There was Satan all along pointing Abraham out of the will of God. And you know, Satan points the wayward Christian were to the world, never points him back to God. Once God stepped in though and exposed Abraham's sin, and you know something, if you're in sin this morning, you're out of the will of God, I want to just tell you something, encouragement. Some encouragement. God never allows his children to stay in the place of sin. He doesn't. And I love him for it. I love him for it. Because there's sometimes when we end up back in that old place of Egypt, you know, we sometimes just find home comforts there. And we're happy in that place of sin all of a sudden. And, but thank God he's faithful. Thank God he's persistent. And he's got more grace than any of us could ever have. And he doesn't allow us to stay in that place of sin. And he always brings us on. And that's what he does here. He stepped in and exposed Abraham's sin. And, and then what happened was Pharaoh asked him to leave. And that's of God. He was kicked out of the place of sin. And whatever way Pharaoh kicked him out was God had ordained that. And I believe that fully. But Warren Wearsby says this. What a poor testimony the Christian is when he or she mingles with the world and compromises. And that's what we see this morning. A bit of compromise. Another man once said, faith is living without scheming. If you can live your life for God without scheming, you'll do well. You'll do well. We all get plenty of opportunities to scheme. But maybe this morning God has maybe spoken to you afresh this morning. Maybe you found yourself standing on the same ground where Abraham has stood. You brought maybe much trouble and heartache into your home, into your own life and to those closest of you and you're unsure what way to turn back. Your life appears to be crumbling down around you and you're unsure what to do. That's what can happen. We can sometimes get so lost that we lose the ability to, to discern how to come back. We're so cold in heart, so hard in heart, that, that the thought of going back seems like too much work. But it's not until God touches the heart and melts it again that can we come back, you see. It's all of God. But if you maybe this morning have asked for help from people and it hasn't happened because you're asking the wrong person. You don't know what way to turn maybe this morning. And Maybe like Abraham, you, you, you once knew the favour of God in your life and it's not there anymore. <laughs> Happens very subtly and very easy. Well, do you believe that God wants you to stay there? Or do you believe that God has more for you? Is this it? Is this as far as it goes? Or is there that place of promise that you have yet to return to? I believe for many of us it's very easy to take a wrong turn. But I believe there's somebody this morning that have taken that wrong turn and they're unsure what to do. Well, I want you to listen to me in these closing moments. And I want you to turn to Genesis 13. We're on to the next chapter now. Just want to read the first four verses. I want to show you something very briefly, very, briefly, very quickly. So chapter 13, just the next page over. And read these words carefully now, church. I've just told you what's going on with Abram. He's been rebuked by, by Egypt. He's been tossed out, if you like. He's been exposed as a liar. As a man of deception, he's caused much trouble to his family. He's left his altar and his tent, everything out. He's put turned his back on God. Then Abraham went up from Egypt. <clears throat> he left Egypt, him and his wife and all that he had. And Lot 
with him to the south. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. God had blessed him. And he went on his journey from the south. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel. Listen, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, where Bethel and Ai, you know that place of crossroads, where Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar, which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. No, sometimes we have to go back to the place where we went out of the will of God. And Abraham had to go back to that place where he was in right relationship with God. This was the last place Abraham bowed his knee to God and thought wisdom, thought guidance. After this, he went his own road and God brought him back. And perhaps for some of you this morning, you need to go to that, back to that place, that place where you know that you turned your back on God. Maybe back to that place where you stopped listening to what God was saying to you. That, that place where you stopped believing truth and you started listening to the lie. And that's sometimes what happens, and that's what happened here. <clears throat> but Abraham had to go back. He'd done this circle. You know that circle of sin from where he started off, he went down, he wrecked all around him, he lost his testimony, he brought much heartache to his wife and his home. He turned his back on the things of God, got rebuked by the world, brought shame unto God, and ended up right back where he started. Glory to God. He wasn't cast to hell, no. He was brought back to the place of promise. And that's where you need to go back to this morning, church. The place of promise. The place of abundance. The place of where even though it's barn, God promises going to be milk and honey flow through the land. You see? No matter what it looks like to the eye, we don't look the things the way the world looks at things. We look it through the eye of faith. Glory to God. For a moment here, Abraham had lost sight. <laughs> he lost sight of God and, and everything about it. Maybe this morning, that's what's happened to some this morning. You've lost sight. You need to go back to that place of crossroads. I want to just pray with you this morning, church. But you know, I, I, I really feel that I want to lead us as a church, not individually in prayer this morning, but as a congregation this morning. And there's one verse I want us to, to stand together and, and I want to, maybe a time of, maybe repentance even, church. Maybe a time of, of acknowledgement that maybe is it possible that we, we allowed fiction to replace the true leading of God? Is it possible that we left, the, even though we've seen a famine before us at times and everything looked barren and destructive, maybe we shouldn't have ran. Maybe we should have stayed put. And, and, but you know, when we run away from God, the scripture makes it clear that God chastises us. And I'm telling you, it's sore. It's not a wee modern day discipline. Sit down and speak to the child and try and reason with the child. Nonsense in my view. But anyway, everybody's got their own word or other children. We don't respond to that sort of, oh, you poor wee man. People don't beat up elderly people and rob them because they need a wee pot chat. Because they've lost track of who they are. Completely went off the rails and think their life is crumbling down around them. And people don't end up taking her on because they think it's going to be just lovely. Because they've lost track of who they are. And what's real for the world is real for the church. And I've proved it to you this morning. We can get so far away from the things of God that destruction starts to replace blessing. And let me quote a verse for you. Hosea 6 and verse 1. Just listen as I read this to you. We're going we're gonna to pray this over our own hearts this morning. And it says this. Come let us return to the Lord. Now listen for he has torn us to pieces. He has torn us to pieces. He will heal us. Because that's the God that we worship this morning.
has wounded us. Are you listening to this? He has wounded us, but he will bind us up. Make no mistake about it. Abraham met the chastising hand of God, ushered out of Egypt quicker than he went into it, and back to the place where God wanted him to be. And church, I'll put it to you. Stand this morning. Quite a wee bit of repentance from each of us this morning on to God. It's possibly that we have maybe, maybe just allowed a spiritual famine in our own hearts. Allowed a wee bit of the world to lead us. Is it possible, church, that there's more blessing to come? Listen, I'm telling you it is possible. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you there's going to be a greater flow of presence of God in this church. We're not going to settle for less. We're not going to settle for less. But, you know, I could be a hindrance to you. Do you know that? <clears throat> if I'm not walking with God, or my life's in sin and my home's in chaos, there's going to be no flowing from my belly. And likewise, church, if, if we aren't in that place of God, them living, there's a dam and our living waters aren't flowing. Glory to God. And I haven't shared this yet, but I'm going to mention something of it. I haven't fully worked it out in my head yet, but one or two people have come to me. One man come one night at the prayer meeting and he got a bit of a vision of the church and there's a few other people have mentioned sort of visions. But I have had something in my mind for weeks now and it's in the middle of this floor and it's just a well and I'm trying to look through scripture and I'm trying to find out what it is and I just see it gushing. I see it gushing. <clears throat> and I want, I want to give you more on that but I haven't got more. But that's what I see is there and it's gushing and it's, it's coming up with such force and I know I try to put my hand down there's such a force I can't penetrate the water. Does that make sense? <clears throat> it tells me it's safe. Because nobody's going to fall in and drown but it's going to bring life to people. So church you're torn to pieces this morning. Maybe you're wounded this morning. God says, I want to heal you. But Abraham had to go back and repent. He had to go back and build the altar. He had to go back to the tent. You know what the tent stands for? A pilgrim. He, he, he stepped out of his tent. He became a man of the world. He, he sought refuge in Egypt. And God says, no, you're not, you don't belong to this world. Go back to your tent. Because you're going on a journey. <laughs> Glory. You're going on a journey. <clears throat> and you need to get back to the altar. But you, you didn't build an altar. And, and maybe for some of you, it's been a long time from you bowed your knee in prayer. God is saying, and we need to hear, because this can just be another sermon. We can go home and eat the beef if you're getting beef today, and we can go. He was he was middling today, or he was all right today, and, and I hope he's better next week. Or we can go home and say, God has spoken into my situation, not Neil McMullen, but God has spoken into my heart this morning. That well that's on that floor, I believe that's a well that should be in the imprint and the shadow of every one of our hearts this morning, with that living water. Glory to God. So I'm going to give you an opportunity, church. And I'll put it to you, if you don't want this, don't stand. But I'm going to put it to you, if you want to stand before God this morning, and each of us is going to repent unto God, and maybe ask for, 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 for more direction, for, for forgiveness, and to be brought back to that place of promise, where God can then continue on his journey. So can I ask you if you want to respond to that, stand. I'm going to ask the team to come. I want them to